Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show, where I interview experts from different fields to connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. My name is Jens Heitland, and I am your host. Today's guest is the CEO at the Green Innovation Group whose main focus is matching green technologies with clients aiming to make the world a greener place with every passing day. Please welcome to the show, Frederick van Ders. Hello, Frederick. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am doing fantastically fine. Thank you. I've, uh, I had a little bit of a rush getting here uh, <laughs> because my favorite headset broke. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm a huge sound nerd. I used to run a, a music studio. So uh, I had really looked forward to having this, uh, this podcast, uh, podcast recording with you uh, on my beautiful microphone with excellent sound and, you know, being able to hear everything and like with my nice headphones on. Uh, and uh, then, uh, yeah, apparently they broke. So um, I, uh, I have a lot of trouble sleeping normally. Yeah. So uh, I've been I've actually been sleeping with these on for two years. They're, they're made by a Danish company <laughs> called III, uh, and they produce primarily for uh, the music industry for yeah. uh, professional DJs. Um, so they have incredibly high quality both in the microphones and in the speakers, and and they have a sound profile that is fit to uh, to my preference for mm. relatively warm uh, notes, which, yeah. which is. I guess atypical for someone who uh, who likes uh, or who comes from uh, from a music industry background, but uh, I, I always just preferred the sound to be nice rather than clean. Um, so, uh, yeah, long story short, they broke. Uh, that uh, put me a little bit off of, uh, off track, uh, but now we're back on track, and uh, I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Thanks. And how are you doing? <laughs> I'm super good. Slowly getting summer here in Germany, so looking forward to. We have a day off tomorrow. It's it's like public holiday, so looking forward to that. It's because and, of that Jesus thing, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we also have the Jesus thing tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's one of the best unions that, that ever was in uh, in Denmark. I think it's the Union of Christianity. The um, we even have another. Um, The, the least uh, holy holiday we have in Denmark is one that's called Big Prayer Day. <laughs> because <laughs> because the, 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 the Jesus thing just got out of control and they wanted all days off. And then the socialists were like, that is, it's not flying. You know, you, you, we, 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 this is never going to fly. We, we need to make a Big Prayer Day and then you can do all of your Jesus things at once. And it, uh, <laughs> it coincides with nothing that has anything to do with Christianity at all. Uh, but it's called the Big Prayer Day, uh, and and I think today, when uh, most of Denmark has turned atheist, there's uh, there's not that much prayer going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we still have the word for prayer in in Danish is bill, hmm. and the word for wheat, you know, the flower, the 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 plant yeah. that you turn into flour for bread, uh, is uh, is bill. So bill and bill, logically, <laughs> it's rhyming. So hmm. on Big Prayer Day, the the big Bill, they we eat bill, so, uh, so so that's the tradition to make buns on the big prayer day and have the buns freshly made on, on the big prayer day, and then you toast them the day after, um, and that that one has stuck, but all of the Jesus stuff is uh, is out. But tomorrow Thursday, also here in Denmark, is a holiday, and I'm going to um, a little island uh, just north of uh, Germany, actually, yeah. called Fenu. Um, and uh, you you go there with a with a little ferry and yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the sea around that is like a really shallow sea and it's uh, completely packed with uh, oysters. Mm. So uh, hopefully we'll be going oyster hunting uh, and 
and have delicious meals and uh, live next to uh, the local brewery. Um, Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm actually leaving tonight, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah, that's good. Then I, then I catch you straight before a, a longer weekend. That's awesome. Uh, and you're in the right mood now for innovation. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I, I even brought some, uh, some inspiration with me, actually. So um, we recently uh, published this book uh, called uh, A Green Future. For those yeah. of you that speak our alien tongue, you will be able to read it. Everybody else, um, <laughs> you, you can catch a rain check on it. Uh, luckily, <clears throat> after it became public knowledge that we were making this book about um, how to invest in a green transition yeah. um, and which areas uh, of focus you could invest in, um, somebody else had a similar idea and did something for the for the for the audience that's English speaking. Um, this <clears throat> this guy called Bill Gates. Yeah, who, strange uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, he he basically has the same points, but he just communicates in English. So, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> and he's slightly more well known than you guys. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we're we're really big in uh, Espargaya. <laughs> we're we're not big in Japan though. But uh, yeah, I, I think that he might have a few more followers. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was in in all seriousness, it was uh, it was great to have. We we basically spent all of 2020. Mm. Uh, working on the financial framework to guide the investment decisions of a three uh, billion euro fund mm. called the Danish Green Future Fund. Mm. That's why this book is called A Green Future. Um, so, um, so we uh, we spent all of last year working on that uh, investment framework, qualifying the pipeline for uh, for which asset they can invest in, yeah. and and also sort of. Making uh, making a map of uh, where where do you actually see the biggest potential for CO2 or greenhouse gas reduction uh, distributed on different technologies uh, comes out like a map like this so you can see yeah. uh, a, a big graph means a big potential right um, so yeah. so it's basically indexing all the ways we can uh, combat climate change um, and. I'm, re I'm really glad to see that Mr. Gates uh, is not reaching significantly different conclusions to us. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's true. It's 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 good good to see that there are similarities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, it I'm, would be the opposite. Then it's like, oh. <laughs> apparently, we don't agree, Mr. Gates. Yeah, let's um, let's have a debate, yeah, which would be yeah, fun yeah. most probably. <laughs> Yeah, I think I would be feeling like bringing a knife to a gunfight if I had to debate with him. But uh, but but actually, actually, I also think that there are there are some nuances to uh, to the way that he has segmented uh, yeah. the whole agenda that um, that are quite interesting. Like the, the way he's uh, we we have identified the third biggest uh, reduction potential on a global level mm. uh, from known technologies uh, lies in cooling and. Yeah. Uh, Bill Gates is also has also identified cooling, but um, as I'm reading him, the, his focus is more on uh, residential cooling and and uh, cooling for human comfort. Mm. Where uh, I, I think that it's equally relevant to talk about industrial cooling and the entire cold chain, um, where it's it's also significantly easier to uh, to facilitate change because you have to mobilize much fewer actors. Um, so it's, that's that's one discrepancy, and then something I learned from Mr. Gates uh, that I hadn't considered before um, was that in in a world with climate change and different weather patterns mm -hmm. and more and more um, crucial or, or crucially extreme weather, it becomes increasingly valuable to have precise weather predictions. Yeah. So um, the value of, of weather prediction actually becomes um, a, a huge cost driver for a lot of different industries because you're, you're going to be able to predict floods uh, and, and roads um, and, and adjust your execution and delivery pipeline accordingly. Mm. Um, and and that, that, that was just something where I was like, ah, 
nicely spotted, Mr. Gates. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of it that way, but now I do. So um, it's cool. So we we dove directly into into super interesting topics, but let's let's get back to who are you? Um, oh yeah, that's a great way to frame <laughs> to start with. People like that, right? They like humans. Yes, exactly. Yeah. T- tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What is your story? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so my name is Frederick. Uh, I was born and raised in uh, the famous city of Espergær in, uh, in Denmark, uh, Northern Europe, for those of you that, that don't know Denmark. Um, I'm an anthropologist by education. And um, I've, I've done a little bit of everything. I worked in, in the realm of sustainability for, uh, for many, many years uh, since 2008. Um, so, uh, so I've seen most of the different shades of uh, SDGs and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> global goals and uh, CSR and you know all, all of these things. Um, so I studied anthropology with uh, actually with the aim of uh, figuring out if there were alternative ways to organize society. Um, and that took its vantage point off of me uh, learning that the city of New York in year 1800 uh, had a million inhabitants and was able to sustain itself um, with everything uh, within a 25 mile radius. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, you know, all this debate about food miles, etc. I was like, hey, if they were able to do it with the technology 200 years ago, then what's, I mean, really what, what can be holding us back? Um, and then I learned that um, a lot of it comes down to the way that we're, we're basically cheating when we farm in modern society. Hmm. So every time we uh, harvest one calorie, we are actually spending 23 calories in production. Um, and, and that has to do with uh, back when there were dinosaurs, they, uh, they turned into gasoline. Um, and when, when we put that gasoline in, into an engine to, to power the mechanized agriculture, it's, um, it, it, it's really turning things on the, uh, on the other end, right? So, um, so, 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 so back then, they, they didn't have the same dependency on, on a mechanized labor force. And that meant that actually per calorie, caloric input per square meter they were farming, they had a much higher yield um, mm. because they could do small hold patches. They would maybe do uh, 100 times 100 meter fields with uh, a much higher crop diversity. Um, and, and, and that meant that they, they were able to, to actually do everything that was needed in smaller cells where, where the, the tendency from the industrial revolution has been to centralize everything. And, and that is the centralization is making some things more cost efficient, mm. but that's, that's only because we cheat um, and, and, uh, or we cheated. Um, and, and, and that's basically what, what got me into anthropology. And then, then I found out that anthropology was not all about uh, uh, finding uh, new ways of organizing societies. It was about humans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, then I got really interested in, in humans um, and, and figuring out um, sort of how do we organize ourselves as individuals into projected futures, right? So, so when uh, I, I studied uh, people that were building eco-societies, mm-hmm. uh, eco-villages, and, and I, was, I was quite amazed by the idea that people volunteer in these projects with an aim of hitting like an, uh, a utopia, right? And, and basically there's nothing in the observations they can do from life in that camp that would ever make them rationally conclude that this will become a self-sustaining society at any point in time. Mm. You know, I, I, I spent uh, six months in a camp on a mountainside in Mexico doing my fieldwork. And uh, when I arrived, it had a, an accumulative production of two eggs per week. And when I left uh, six months later, it was down to one egg per week uh, because the, uh, the badger had, uh, had eaten one of the chickens. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, it, 
it was uh, it was not a huge cause for optimism. But still, the volunteers were were actually talking about in the future when this thing has uh, become self-sustaining. Um, it may not be in this in the future, but one, one of my informants uh, coined the term the super future future, mm-hmm. and and I think that's um, that's a segue into what I'm working with now, where um, we we work a lot with the, the green transition and, and and going into the green transition where. I feel like there's there's a huge tendency to 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 sort of fetishize the technological development and say it we in the in the in the future future or in the super future future we are going to be able to uh, suck carbon out of the air and make it turn it into bricks or butterflies and everything will be fine <laughs> and dandy and and you know I I just think you know I'm I'm looking at that and then I'm like I'll are politicians and business leaders really made out of the same stuff as these volunteers on the mountainside <laughs> in Mexico? And then it just occurs to me that they're all humans. So they have that one thing in common that they're all humans. And apparently humans are incredibly bad at predicting future scenarios. Um, and and that's uh, so, so that has become a, a big interest of mine doing this sort of scenario planning um, which, which I think is something I've, I've always uh, kind of enjoyed when, when, I was, uh, when I was a kid. Um, I used to say that I wanted to be the CEO of Lego, the, the toy company. It's yeah. a Danish company. Um, and I love playing with Legos, right? Um, and, and later on, I, I told my, uh, my school career guide that I wanted to become a music producer. And, and he told me that, that that was not possible. And then I was like, okay, let, let me line up a scenario that uh, that makes this possible. And then, <laughs> then you know, instead of going out and trying hard to become a musical producer, I just opened a music studio. And that, that was, uh, and, and, and I, I, I kind of feel like uh, what I'm trying to do now is to dedicate all my time and resources to contributing as much as I can to reaching drawdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and drawdown is the point in time where we're taking more greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere than we're um, than than we're putting into the atmosphere, mm. or that we're emitting out to the, out in the atmosphere, um, and and I actually think that 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 says a lot about who I am. I'm 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 very mission driven, and and I can get super um, caught up in in an agenda, and then it it takes up all of my mental capacity, and and I just don't do anything else. Um, or, or I can get very easily distracted and then do everything at once. But, but um, yeah, I, I think in, in, in relation to who I am, I'm an anthropologist by education. I'm 32 years old. I'm the CEO of Green Innovation Group. So I also see myself as an, as an entrepreneur that I like to start things um, and watch them grow. And, and I think that goes back to the Lego thing that I always, you know, I always enjoyed building things and putting it together and, you know, watching it grow. And then when it was done growing, I was like, yeah, okay, now I'm going to take it apart and build something new. Um, so, so, so I think that that's also part of my story that I've, I've always been starting things. Like I, uh, I, I started a Facebook group for uh, how to live cheaply in Copenhagen um that uh, was was kind of coming out of i, I was i just moved uh, moved out from my parents uh, and i didn't have any money so you know i was i was interested in that uh, agenda and then it's just whenever i'm interested in something i tend to start something around it so you know i have like a, a whole wake of uh, crashed book clubs and uh, fencing clubs and swimming clubs and all kinds of things um and then sometimes something just catches on and and turns into an actual music studio or turns into an actual consultancy like like where I'm working now. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a, not a brief description, but it it is a description. <laughs> yeah, it it it's 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 a fascinating story, and it's it's quite interesting from an entrepreneurial perspective. It's always scratching your 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 own edge first will bring you to something even if it's not for a long long term it's it's always fun to see that there are patterns in other people as well i see that too in in myself 
I, I wrote a book about uh, traveling without a budget. And uh, it comes to show that people don't like traveling without a budget. <laughs> no, it's, it's I just can not tell convenient. you. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I, had, uh, I come up with all of these tips on, on how you can travel incredibly cheaply because that, that's something I've found incredibly fun mm. uh, at the time, just dirtbagging my way around the world, um, which gave me a lot of really valuable experiences. Um, but, but I think I just didn't have a very great understanding of humans that, you know, I, I didn't get that humans are different from me. Uh, <laughs> it, it took me many years to figure that out. That, uh, and I think luckily every, everyone's not like me. I think we would have a very messy world. If it was just uh, seven billion Fredericks uh, running around with beards and, uh, and always wearing the same clothes and uh, traveling without a budget. Um, <laughs> Let's let's get into innovation. So, I mean, your your company is called Green Innovation Group, uh, but I would like to start more in general. What is what is innovation for you, Frederick? What is innovation? That it's 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 a great question. Um, I I think that there's there's kind of two ways of looking at innovation that that I find interesting uh, myself. There's the um, and if if I take two steps back, of course it's it's creating something new out of what's already existing. And I, and I think most innovation is about um, taking two existing concepts and then pairing them into something new. Um, like uh, the, the, the car is uh, it, it's not an invention uh, in, its, in and of, of its own right. It's, it's, an, it's an invention that consists of many little pieces of innovation. So Someone came up with the uh, with the wheel, and someone came up with the steering wheel, and someone came up with the axis that the the wheels are on, and someone came up with the chain system. Someone came up with combustion uh, and and capture, captivating that energy for propulsion, and you know all all of these things. So it's it's a long range of small inventions that are put together into a larger context. Um, <clears throat> and when when we talk about innovation, I think it's relevant to have that framework where it's taking something that already exists and then uh, pairing it in a new way, uh, essentially. Uh, very, very rarely someone comes up with something that is inherently new, but most inventions are not. Um, they're, they're combinations of, of, of different elements that have been invented before. Um, and so, so when, if we accept that premises, and I'm happy to, to discuss that, it's not, I'm not married with that definition at all. Um, but, but what I find really interesting is when, when, um, when we're looking at innovation and we're, we're assessing it from a, a public or corporate standpoint, um, we, we can basically do incremental innovation or we can do moonshot innovation. And if, if, if you're, I, I also had a sidetrack where I played semi-professional poker um, in, in my life. So if, if we need we, to do another podcast, I can tell you. I have so many notes here, which, which will distract <laughs> us from innovation. <laughs> but, 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 but basically, uh, if, if we're looking at uh, innovation with the same approach as a poker player. So, uh, so you sit down at the table, there's, there's five other guys at the table, they're, they're your competitors. And uh, you each have a different stack. So you have a different amount of money in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're basically developing innovation you're, you're paying to get more information. And then when, when, when everybody else is out and you have the, the best hand, you win the money on the table. That's, that's essentially it. If, if we just assume that the market is the money that's on the table um, or that's combined in the stacks on the table, not, not necessarily in the pot. Um, and and when, when, when we're considering that, and if we consider the dynamic of a poker table where you have the blinds taking turns, so in poker you, ha you have to pay uh, every couple of rounds, uh, you, you have to pay to stay in the game. And that, it's kind of like a tax. Um, in innovation, you also have to pay to stay in the game. So if you, if you don't pay anything, then, then you just pay the, the follower tax that you, know, you, you don't get any significant advantage, uh, but you also don't front uh, a big cost. So you're also, you're, you're not putting any skin in the game. So you, 
you're also bound to not really win that much. Um, but but as in poker, you you can uh, it, it would be uh, called a tight aggressive um, uh, strategy in, in in poker where you're kind of you're you're just waiting till you get a couple of aces or king ace, and then then you play those hands and and you you take some winnings, right? That would be like a very conservative strategy. Uh, it will never win you any tournament, but mm-hmm. but you know if if the other folks at the table are bad enough. Um, you you can win something, and and that's kind of it's the same in the market, right? You know, mm. If you're not if you're not in the top five, if the other players are bad enough, there's a market share for you, and that can be fine. Um, but but um, in 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 that regards, I, I think it's relevant to say, okay, do we want to look at incremental innovation, or do we want to look at moonshot innovation? And if we're looking at incremental innovation and, and we have to pay to get more information, then we also need to get a return on that investment relatively fast. So we cannot afford to do incremental innovation on a very large budget because we, we, we're just not going to be able to justify our spendings to get more information for a very long time. Mm. Um, however, if we do moonshot innovation, then we can actually afford to pay very little for a very long time to get more information. Because every time we get more information, we, we get slightly closer to the target. Um, however, the probability of us succeeding with the moonshot innovation is, is incredibly low. Uh, and and that, that also means that it, it's a high risk, high reward, because you're basically paying to get information about something you cannot uh, capitalize on and that you're, you, you, you don't have a near horizon capitalization strategy. Um, and there there's, there, there's a whole range of um, innovators that, that move too early, right? Where um, the, the risk of deployment has, has been uh, too large because the market hasn't matured uh, to, to purchase that product or service um, Yet, um, a, a good example of that is in, uh, in Denmark, we had an Israeli company that produced uh, charging stations for uh, electrical vehicles. And uh, Denmark found it great to use uh, that service provider in 2014, um, when uh, there was one other country that had purchased the services. I think maybe it was New Zealand or something. But, um, but basically, um, E.ON, uh, a relatively well-known uh, German uh, utility company, were also producing charging stations at the same price. Hmm. Um, but in, in the public procurement, um, the, the Danish government somehow uh, chose this Israeli-based company that, that then ended up going bankrupt before they could deliver uh, all of the charging stations. And, and then, uh, ironically, E.ON, Ended, the Danish version of Ian ended up buying all of those charging stations. Um, I think they ended up actually having a, a decent business case on it, but for very many years it looked in, in, incredibly grim mm. because no no one were buying the electrical vehicles in Denmark. So so they they really moved into the market too soon, and they had paid a lot of money to get that information, and then then they ended bleeding out before they could actually capitalize on the investment. Um, and, and, and I think it was this, it was last year when the Green Future Fund in Denmark was, was developed. Um, they got these 3 billion euro to, to invest. Um, they invested, um, I, I think it would convert to like 15 million euro or something like that. Uh, it can be looked up, but I, I would say something in, in that range. It was definitely a, a, a three-digit million amount in Danish kroner. So t- typically when people say that, it means 100 million. Um, and that would convert to 14 million euro or something. And, mm-hmm. and the, the, the Green Future Fund invested 14 million into charging stations. Um, so So now... I mean, a year later, those charging stations are all over the country. Yeah. Every time I go to a client, they have their charging stations in front of their parking lots. Mm. So, so, you know, had, had this 
better place, they were called better place, the Israeli company. Um, had they moved in five years later, then you know, chance, chances are that the demand would be there hmm. um, and, and that they, the timing would have been right. But because they were paying to get more information too early yeah. on the moonshot, they, they just they bled out uh, and, and they couldn't do it. Um, and, and today, we, I mean, of course, the, the investments that are made into charging stations now, um, they're made also off of, the, uh, of the shoulders of the bad decisions. Right? Of course. Yeah. And, and you see that on the poker tables, too. <laughs> like you see that one guy that goes in there, he's drunk, you know, he's been in the casino all night and he's just bleeding chips because he doesn't care about money. And then, you know, the, but the money stays on the table hmm. and those learnings stay on the table. So the, 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 the market learns and the market remembers and, and that kind of converts into the hand history in poker. And I think there's so many great analogies there. Um, but, but anyway, so, so looking at incremental innovation and moonshot innovation, um, I, I, I think that when, when we're looking at sort of the, the main reason why I am in this space is because uh, we don't have time to fuck around. We, we, we need to stay well below a two degrees Celsius uh, temperature increase. Um, and in order to do that, we're, we're going to need to innovate. But I'm not a huge believer in the moonshot innovation here. Because the, the technology we need to stay well below uh, a two degree century, uh, temperature rise, they're, they're already deployed in the market. Mm. So it's actually purchasable. The, the technology is matured. Um, and, and that's what I like about the incremental and pragmatic innovation. That um, there, there's a lot of sense in taking what we already have, leaning on the collective wisdom of the market and of the world and of, of the hand history of the world, right? And mm. say, okay, we can produce electricity at a much cheaper rate using solar and wind. Let's do it. Uh, we, we I would, I would like to, heating, et cetera. So, I so, would like to double click on that. I mean, you're helping um, large corporations with business strategies in, in that direction. What do you see? Why are companies not there yet? Because you're saying the technology is there, so it's it's basically put put your eggs into that basket if you are a large company and and get it done. Sounds easy, I I, I guess. But how how do you see that? It's, it's a great question. Um, so I mean, why why do companies exist? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, there there are different different versions of that. So it's, it's really dependent of what, what the company founder is after, if they want to make a huge impact or if they want to print money. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the story of the word company uh, was that Dutch sailors needed to band together in order to finance uh, sailing expeditions. Hmm. So, so that's, that's how the whole concept came up. So it's, it's about making profit. Um, and, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong in that. But during the years... Um, we have, we have gotten so good at optimizing for making profit that um, essentially the way we structure companies, they're, they're designed for, for profitability and for enhancing profitability. And at the same time, they have been optimized for enhancing profitability in the short term. Mm. So this means that um, the companies are essentially not designed to look at the, at the long-term perspective. Um, they're not designed for anyone to get good ideas. They're, they're designed to kill good ideas. <laughs> so people don't fuck around, but yeah. they do what they're asked to do and they do what they're paid to do and they do what's profitable. And uh, making and developing ideas is quite seldom profitable in the short term. So, so, so I think that's, when, when, when we're looking at sort of uh, the raison d'etre for a company, it is to maximize profit uh, mm. or profitability uh, as a concept. There are, there are companies that do different things, but, but the concept of a company, that, that's why they, why they exist. Um, and, and they are designed every single step of how we, we organize and structure a company 
um, it is basically designed to have as few ideas and as little creativity as possible so it can run like a, a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's also why R&D budgets are so hard to make right because you, you just don't know if you have the, the next great idea in there. Hmm. Um, and and I, w- I would make the, uh, the business case of the, there's, there's a Danish uh, bank called Danske Bank. It's, uh, I think, the, the biggest Scandinavian bank, probably. Um, and they, um, they had a very famous innovation department, or they're famous in Denmark, right? Um, and they, uh, they developed a uh, payment app that would make it possible for me to send you money when we go to a cafe and you front the, the bill, but we're supposed to share it. But then, you know, we don't have to split anything. I just wire you the money on my app. And uh, that came out of their innovation department, uh, Mobile Life. And, and I think it's safe to say that mobile pay is on every single uh, smartphone in the country of Denmark. Mm. Um, even though we're not customers of Danske Bank, all of us, we're using their service with every single transaction. I mean, we, we barely have cash anymore uh, because you can pay with your phone uh, mm. so much faster than, than Visa and everyone else was, was able to do it. Um, and they were able to, to digitalize these uh, person-to-person transfers so fast. Um, and and that, that department of mobile life, they, they had to exclude that from Danske Bank corporate because the people that were in there, they didn't fit into the rank and file banking world, right? You know, they, yeah. they were the nutters. They liked to surf and ride skateboards and listen to heavy metal music. <laughs> or, you know, they, they liked something that was out of the ordinary for a bank, but they came up with uh, some great ideas and, and at least one of them exploded. And that was kind of the moonshot idea. But, but um, at least I haven't heard about any other ideas that came out of mobile life, even though I think it's existed for like uh, 15 years or 10 years or something, I think. I think actually it's shut down now. Um, but, but the point is just that even though they came off of probably one of the biggest innovation successes in the realm of corporate innovation uh, in, in the B2C segment in Denmark, mm-hmm. um, it still wasn't sustainable. So um, fi- financially sustainable. Um, so, so I think that that's, I actually forgot the question. I, I just talked myself really warm here. Uh, but... but, but but at, at, at the end of the day, um, the reason why it's so hard to get it right for corporates and, and to do the things in front of them is because they're they're very carefully designed to only execute on what's making them profitable. Yeah. And uh, being green has not been profitable for a very long time. And I think when we see uh, right right now, everyone's talking about this the carbon tax, right? The CO2 tax, where... Um, <clears throat> There seems to be a, a, a consensus that the 200 euro per ton CO2 emitted, that's, that's the rate we need to hit. That will be a, a great reflection of the costs of uh, removing or reducing. Hmm. So uh, let's say that we, we get the carbon tax. Now there's a carbon tax. Right now it's 50 euro per ton, I, uh, I believe, in, in the EU. If we turn that up uh, by a factor of four, don't you think that the corporates are going to all of a sudden be incredibly interested in optimizing towards paying as many carbon tax as possible. Of course. Of course they are. So, so you know, to, to some degree, we also need to think about how are we creating these incentives. Mm. And, and when I talked about agriculture and, and us putting in 23 calories to harvest one, that, that would just never be possible with the carbon tax. Um, so, uh, so, so I think that that's kind of, uh, the role of the regulators and, and the, the lawmakers of, of the way we have organized uh, Western society, at least, that it, it's, it's their responsibility to create the incentives for the businesses. And, and if that incentive is to move to the Maldives where they don't pay taxes to run their businesses, then we need to figure out ways of, of addressing that. But, but um, if they're destroying the planet that we live on, uh, I, I think it's it's safe to venture the point that then you know that then then we just need to come up with a solution and and a two hundred euro carbon tax seems to be a really good uniform solution that is evening the playing field for everyone uh, and of course uh, it'll, it'll be tough for some industries but but you know they've they've been cheating yeah, yeah. so so you know at, at the end of the game 
at the end of the day, when, when we abolished slavery, that was tough on some industries too. But you know, we, we get smarter. Uh, as a society, as a market, we learn, we remember the hand history and we get smarter. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's something that, um, that, 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 that's what makes me hopeful. Mm. So you, you have now, or you're the CEO of Green Innovation Group, of the Green Innovation Group. How do you work then with corporates helping them to build a strategy which helps them to reach uh, future goals? That, that, that's, that's a great question. So, I mean, um, we, we start off by figuring out sort of the level of maturity of the client. So sometimes they, they can be incredibly mature and they, they've already worked with the BCGs and McKinsey's of the world on uh, making a complete LCA uh, life, life cycle analysis uh, on, on everything they do and figured out what are the emissions and, and so and so. But typically, <clears throat> then someone is tasked with executing on these nice goals. Mm. Uh, and that, that's the difficult part. Um, we like to engage in the strategy as well. Um, because I think in, in all fairness, we're, we're really good at connecting the dots between the business case and the, um, and, and the environmental impact potential. Um, but, but we are also really good at the pragmatic incremental innovation. So um, I, I can bring up a case where we're working with the facility management, um, the facility management services of a, of a major corporate and um, they, they basically present us with their budgets and we can see this is how much they're spending on all of these things. Mm -hmm. And then we're estimating just a rough estimate. Where do we think the, the carbon footprint is the biggest? Probably one of the areas where they're spending a lot of money. And then um, we, we developed a compass for decision-making in procurement. Mm -hmm. So in order for the procurement department to purchase something, it had to be the same quality or higher. It had to be a comparable price or cheaper. It had to be at a lower environmental footprint. Mm. And it had to be scalable across the organization. So it wouldn't work to take the waste materials off of one facility and donating it to the local art school. That, that wouldn't fly because they had to be able to do it in an entire global organization, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that, that just meant that in, in only six days work during three weeks, they came up with eight quite concrete business cases that they could then present to, uh, to senior management for budget and, and financial approval. And then they can start making the investments. And, and they're not investing more money into yeah. it. They're basically only investing you know, in, in our fee and, and in the couple of days of the FTEs. And, and the, the gain that they're making just from the redu reduced cost without even having a carbon tax, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're actually making the, a return on investment uh, at a very short range. And, and I think that's kind of, it, it's just a thing that we need to consider in the green transition that it's going to happen if it's cheaper and better. It can't be cheaper or better. It has to be both. Yeah. Um, and and that, that just narrows the field of, of opportunities that we have. And, and it just means that we have, we have a more sophisticated uh, system of criteria for making procurement decisions. Um, and, I, and I think that that's kind of, that, that's a way that we really like to work when, when it can be pragmatic and solution oriented. But we also work with our D departments where it's, <clears throat> it, it's much more advanced, right? You know, I've, I had, a, I had a session yesterday with an R&D department where we were envisioning a world where doctors and nurses don't really exist in the same way that they do today, but the treatment is delivered by drones on demand. To, to the people's home or? Yeah, all straight to the patient. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter when or where they are. Yeah. The, the, the AI is just going to know he will need his allergy medicine now. The pollen is high and yeah. it will fly in and give me a pill, right? Um, and then I just pay as I go hmm. for, for the treatment. And, and the way that we will be able to reorganize everything in, in the health tech sector in 20, 30 years from now, I, I think that's really amazing. 
Um, but 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 that's the moonshot innovation space, right? Hmm. If 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 we take this this topics, I mean, you you work the whole time with with large organizations, and specifically if you take the incremental parts, these are from a logical perspective things they could do without you. But what what is your experience? Why are companies specifically the large one are not doing it? What is holding them back? It's it's very hard to uh, have that level of um, of superficial knowledge about so many fields combined with the uh, subject matter expertise that you need to have to uh, mandate a position in a major corporate. Mm. So when, when I'm talking to a facility manager, it's someone who knows everything physically possible to know about the inner workings of a pump Hmm. But, but that person might not know that much about how uh, trees are transporting water from the root net up to the leaves. Hmm. Uh, they, they do that with uh, uh, tiny tubes that, uh, that, that uh, change in, uh, in shape and size to such a degree that the water is basically being pulled up using very little energy. Um, and If you imagine constructing a pump off of those principles, rather than uh, the way we're, we're structuring pumps today, that are the, the, the pumps that a pump engineer would know, mm. um, the, then you have a chance of doing something new. Um, and, and, and you know, the, the, the thing is just that we, we have such a wide scope of uh, um, of relations with all kinds of different innovators that we see so many different solutions all the time that it's mm. possible for us to be creative in a different way. And when you've worked in the same space, you get used to the way things are. And it, it gets increasingly difficult to come up with new solutions to a problem that you've stared at the longer you stare at it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you will have the highest quantity of ideas in the beginning. It, that doesn't mean that they're the best ideas. It just means that you you'll have a very high quantity. Um, so uh, so I think that's that's the reason why it's hard for the companies to do it. And then of course there, the specification sheets that they have for procurement are developed to maximize uh, profitability and ensure reliability, yeah. which is also maximizing profitability. So so then they're not developed to consider environmental sustainability. Um, But they could, I mean, and, and, and quite often it, 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 has, it has to be delivered at the same quality and, and the same price mm -hmm. or better in both. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's, it, it, it's just a sophistication that's not there in the procurement system yet, but it, of course it will come. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that's why it's hard. It's because they, they're, not, they're not made to do it yet. But, but in, in 10 years from now, it's going to be standard. It's quite interesting that sometimes it's it's an external force or an external support or injection, however you want to call that, needed to get an uh, an organism or an an organism inside an organization changing to a to a different perspective and opening up, and then they might come up with more ideas after they have worked with you most properly because they got influenced by by a different way of thinking. Yeah, and, and I mean, we, we, we can think about how it is to have a family dinner, right? If you're in your nuclear family with uh, uh, mom and dad and, and two kids, the, those, those dinner conversations, they, they get incre increasingly boring, right? And, and increasingly predictable. But the moment you bring in one drunk uncle, then, you know, <laughs> that, and, and that, that's kind of like, now I'm, I'm not pitching my company as the drunk uncle, or maybe I am, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, it's, it's sometimes the light of the party is, is, is the external actors that can come in and, and breathe, breathe new life in, into, into a dusty setting. Okay. But the dusty setting works. I mean, it provides comfort and stability and reliability and, and, and all of these things. But if you want to change things, it's usually good with, with an outside perspective. Yeah. I would like to transition now to the last part of the podcast, which is a couple of rapid fire, fire questions. So let's start off with, if you have the chance, 
working with a project or running a project that's impacting every human being on earth, what project will it be and why would you choose that? Uh, I would like to do a VR where people can understand what it's like to be a factory farmed animal. Uh, I've, I've, I've heard about a project that uh, makes it uh, possible for, for men to put on a VR glasses to understand what it's like to be um, statistically smaller uh, than, than everybody else. So like give, give you the frame of mind of what it's like being a woman and then mm. understand how threatening physical presence can be. Mm. And, and that's really reduced the amount of uh, domestic violence from, from uh, male, uh, men to women. Uh, and, and I think if, uh, if, if we got uh, into the inner workings of what it's like to be a factory farmed animal, I think that we could uh, innovate our way and, and ethically uh, transition into a species that does not accept factory farmed animals. I'm, I'm a huge mediator myself, actually, which, which doesn't connect at all to, to working with green innovation. Um, but um, consumption of animal protein is something that's very hard to justify when we grow it the way we grow it right now. Mm. And it's incredibly polluting and it, it has the potential, I think, uh, incredibly fast to change the way we run society and have a significant impact. And if, if I could only choose one solution, uh, I, I think that would be it. I love it. So next question is, where will you be in a year from now? And you can answer that from a personal perspective and or business. A year from now, so the summer 2022. Um, I hope that in the business, um, we have, we have uh, concluded uh, two more flagship projects like the, the, the book release and in, influenced similar decision makers uh, with, with similar budgets to make a difference. Um, and, um, and then of course the, the workings of, of the book will, will be clear and evident. Um, there, there'll be a, a, a whole line of uh, Danish students that have educated themselves about the possibilities in, in the green transition from reading the book. Um, on a personal level, I hope my boat is working so that I've been sailing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and besides that, I, I hope that everyone's uh, been vaccinated. So this whole COVID uh, situation uh, doesn't take as much uh, time and attention from everyone as it does, but they, they can spend time on, uh, on the things that are meaningful to them, which I actually think, frankly, that COVID has been pretty good at, at kind of showcasing that, you know, if, if you have put yourself in a situation where, where you really do mind being isolated for 10 days, then maybe you should uh, re rethink your concept of home um, and, and family and loved ones. Um, but uh, it's easy for me to say I, I live in a, in, in a house I share with uh, like-minded people. So uh, we basically live in, in a collective. Um, so, so it's been actually a blessing to, to not be busy and be able to be present and, um, and build connection with the people I, I spend time with in my home. Uh, and I imagine if you have kids, uh, I, I think it, it would probably be a blessing in disguise that people get to spend so much more time with their with their kids at least that's what i imagine even though i know kids can be a pain in the ass but um, yeah yeah I, I can just say it from my perspective it's it's a blessing spending so much time with her which i wouldn't be if i would be working in the old way which is like traveling around the world and jet setting and whatever uh, comes yeah. with working with different clients yeah yeah, and, and, and that's great, right? That we, we don't spend time in, in commute anymore. I mean, how magical is that? Absolutely. People don't spend their lives in cars and in, in congested uh, traffic uh, lines. I, I think that's magical. And, and, and I hope that, I actually hope that uh, the, the everyday life that I have had in the past half a year is not too different a year from now. Because I, I really enjoy the life that I have built for myself during, during the pandemic that, um, I spend a lot of time with the people I care deeply about yeah. uh, and I don't spend a lot of time in, in transit um, and I just love Copenhagen I mean it's, it's such a magical it's, city it's one of the best cities I mean, in the world check this out check this out I haven't showed you that this this is my office right yeah. and we have magnolia trees in the garden that are flowering 
Can you see it? Yeah. Awesome. How beautiful is that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I can tell you I missed Copenhagen last year. This time we have been still living in Copenhagen before we moved back to Germany. Yeah, that's your problem. That's your problem. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But family first. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. So let's get to, to, to the last bigger question. How do you keep yourself informed and up to date? What are the different sources you consume and how you do, do that? Um, we, we have a national radio station in, in Denmark that's called Program One. Um, it, it's in Trolls language, so many of your listeners are not going to be able to understand it. But um, I listen to that every once in a while. And then mostly I'm blessed with uh, a LinkedIn feed. of uh, I have some 13,000 connections on LinkedIn, and the majority of them work in the realm of sustainability and business. So um, when they share content, it's something that matters to them. Um, and that's usually something that matters to me. Um, so that that's those are my two sort of um, external inputs that I don't guide myself. Um, then whenever we, we get an assignment, um, I have a chance to go deep and, and be really nerdy about it. Um, and, and then I educate myself on, on something like, uh, we did this report on... Um, ocean technologies hmm. where, you know, uh, move, moving into that report, you know, I, I knew as much about ocean technologies as the next guy. Um, but then uh, com coming out of the report, you know, we, we were doing these, these kind of, it's called a dendrogram. Hmm. And hmm. It, it's a way of uh, structuring data. So, so um, you, you all of a sudden you understand that When, when we're looking at, at 100 technologies at, at, at sea and in the oceans, um, there, there's incredibly few of them, for instance, that, uh, that target climate change, right? And that, mm. that's ironic because the oceans are, are one of the first ones to, to have really tremendous impact. So, so that shows that, uh, though, yeah, I mean, basically when, when the question is, How do I stay on top of things? How do I stay informed? Usually the demands uh, from my clients force me to educate myself and yeah. continue to stay sharp. Uh, so, so I might go into an assignment knowing uh, more than most uh, about a sustainability topic, um, but not necessarily more than an expert. Mm -hmm. And then the assignment kind of forces me to educate myself further on and become an expert as part of the assignment. Yeah. Um, and 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 I think that's that's really a blessing for someone like me that that uh, has a relatively short attention span. I mean, I, I'm usually able to do the same thing for one or two years, um, but but not much more. So uh, so being able to kind of dive into different industries and different technological areas that's that, that's really fascinating. And and also being an anthropologist, I'm very comfortable asking the silly questions, um, and and that. <laughs> You know, asking that, that comes the human thing again. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing about those humans, right? Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, asking silly questions is is a great way of uh, obtaining obtaining new knowledge. Yeah, agree. So, where can people find you? How can people reach out to you? Uh, LinkedIn is is the best way. Uh, I'm Frederick van Ders on uh, on LinkedIn. It's spelled uh, in Danish without a C. Uh, so just uh, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-K, uh, V-A-N, and D-E-U-R-S. So the, the Dutch way. Um, and I've, I, I use LinkedIn a lot. I, I think it's an absolutely magical tool uh, where you're able to communicate with people in, in, in sort of eye level. Um, and it's, I, I think I spent just around 20, 20% of my working life I spent being on LinkedIn, sharing knowledge, sharing content, finding content and, and connecting people. Mm. Um, because quite often that's, that's, that, that's where, where I can make a difference for people. You know, put two people in the same room that, that work on the same agenda, but don't, don't know each other. Yeah, uh, the other day I connected a university uh, professor with, uh, with, with uh, a maritime a maritime network group for, for the Baltics came to show that the, the university was already part of the networking group, but the professor just didn't know. And, and you know, this, that's, it's, it's quite often um, where, where we, we help people just figuring out that they, you know, they, they go to the same school, but they don't know each other, but they should really start a band. 
yeah. and that's that's yeah. kind of yeah. uh, one of the ways we add a lot of value that we see a lot of things and can connect the dots but but we don't do it in in a structured manner cool thank you very much frederick it was a pleasure to have you on my show <laughs> thank you for having me it was really a great joy look look forward to uh, to sharing this thanks a lot cheers cheers <laughs>